0: good morning church, it's good to see you today and grateful to be with you in worship today in fellowship and Bible study and we've had a, a good day already here at First Baptist Arlington at a great worship service this morning at, in our classic service and I'm grateful to be a part of this service with you today. If you've been with us at all, you know that our theme 2022 is re. And we are exploring the various terms in the scripture that begin with that prefix, but also just some of the words from our vocabulary as believers that begin with that prefix re. And during each season of the year, we've assigned one of them in particular to be our focus. And so for the winter of 2022, we have chosen to focus on reflect. So we're in a season of reflecting and listening to the Lord's voice in our lives. In your p perhaps still, there is one of these packets and it has in it the spiritual discipline cards. If you haven't gotten one of those, I would encourage you to get one and uh, take that home with you. There is a a guide for each week during this winter season as we are reflecting together various spiritual disciplines we have chosen to highlight during the winter season. This week, we are focusing on reading and reflection. And I appreciate uh, Kurt Grice, who has written this material for us uh, to lead us in this time of spiritual disciplines. And I wanna just read to you a quote from this coming week's uh, card, and has, it, it's connected to the message today where Kurt has written, "'Our thoughts about God must be shaped "'and informed by the word of God. "'To be rightly understood, the infinite creator "'must reveal himself to his finite creation. "'And God has made himself most fully known "'through the Bible. "'Reading and reflecting on scripture "'is how we know God better. It's how we develop a biblical worldview. It's how we cultivate a wise, godly perspective. It's how we become transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it's how we know the big story well enough to share it with someone else. And so this season, we are walking through these various disciplines, and we are reflecting together on the deep insights that are found in the 23rd Psalm. So this morning, I'd like for us to look at that text again. I've entitled the message today, A Guiding Hand. And we have just been choosing a phrase out of the 23rd Psalm each week for our attention and our focus. There's a reason that this Psalm is read so much, that it's loved so widely, that it has endured so well. It's not just because of the beautiful poetry that uh, has been Uh, written for us by David. It's the insights that are found in this particular psalm. And so I want to just read the entire psalm today, and we'll pull out just two verses today that will serve as the place where we will focus. But here's what David has written. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, we've, we've spent two Sundays already in the 23rd Psalm, and we have... Reflected on those core truths. First of all, that the Lord is our shepherd. He is shepherding us. Last Sunday morning, we looked at what it means to truly say we are wanting nothing. Well, today, I want us to think together about God's guiding hand. I wonder how many of y'all are old enough to remember life before GPS. Any of y'all in this room remember life before GPS? Do you remember, you used to have these paper, do you remember what I'm talking about? You would unfold them when you were driving your car. Any of y'all remember those? Uh, maps, do you remember them? And uh, my goodness, I can remember driving with our parents on trips and my dad driving and map reading at the same time because he didn't trust anybody else in the car to be able to read the map. We barely trusted him driving when his full attention was on driving, much less while he was driving and trying to read a map and it unfolded everywhere. And I don't know about y'all, but you could never fold them back to their original uh, folding uh, way, the pattern. We never were able to make that happen. But GPS has just become a part of our lives. How many of you have ever been led astray by GPS though? I mean, it happens, doesn't it? You can't always trust it just because we have it. I came across this story a while back. It happened in Oxford, Michigan, the Boulder Point Golf Club. There's a guy named Bill Offer who is in charge of the grounds at the golf course. And he said he received a frantic text message from a golfer, a couple of golfers out on the golf course, who said, come quickly, there is a vehicle on the golf course. And uh, this was in November of 2020. So he went to go get his golf cart to go check it out, and someone else texted him and said, get here quickly on hole 11, there is a vehicle on the golf course. So he gets to, I think it was hole 11, just in time to see an Amazon delivery truck wedged into the tunnel uh, that the golf carts were trying to pass through, about six feet in, and the driver could not get the Amazon vehicle out. And he was in a panic. And so Offer says, he goes up to the guy and says, what are you doing? And the guy says, my GPS brought me down this path. He said, you are on a golf course, you know? And uh, so surprisingly, you know, this guy had lost his way. And uh, so they had to bring another truck in. They had to bring a, a wrecker in to drag that truck, get it out. And and uh, they said that, that this, whoever the driver was, uh, has obviously faced his peers since then, that he followed a GPS onto a golf course. Well, You know i know sometimes when we're going somewhere sometimes somebody might say to us don't follow gps at the end because it'll take you over here to my neighbor's place and that's not always right i mean that just happens but the point is we we do need to be guided we just need to be careful who's guiding us and that really is the testimony of psalm 23 today the text that we're going to to look at David. I believe at this point in David's life, David's, most scholars would tell you, we don't believe David was a young shepherd when he's written this psalm. He's a seasoned veteran now. He's followed the Lord for a long time. He's the king of Israel. And he's now reflecting upon his life and all the lessons he's learned. And this particular psalm is filled with his insight from what it was like back when he worked as a shepherd as a young man. And so he shares several insights. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to focus on verses two and three. Now we're going to leave out, if you look at verse three, it begins with, he refreshes my soul. We're going to uh, pause on that little phrase. That's going to be next Sunday's message. We're going to just spend our attention on the phrase before it and the one after it. And here's where I want us to begin this morning. When you look at this text, I want you to notice verse three, the last phrase of verse three says, for his name's sake. Just a reminder this morning that God's name is connected to us. Do you know when you become a follower of Jesus and you're baptized as a believer, we will baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You you take on the name of Christ. His people take on his name. In other words, the way you and I live is not just a reflection on us. We belong to the Lord. And so the way that you and I live is actually also a reflection on him. And so David offers us that insight in this psalm. As he references God's guiding hand, he uses this phrase, for his name's sake. Interestingly enough, when you read the Bible in English, which most of of us do, Uh, about 15 or 16 times you find that phrase, his name's sake. As a matter of fact, if you still got your Bible open, look at Psalm 25. I'll give an example of one, verse 11, um, where the text says, uh, forgive my iniquity, even though it's great, Lord, but look at the opening phrase, for the sake of your name. You'll find that scattered throughout the Psalm, Psalm 31, verse 3. The psalmist says, lead us for your name's sake, Psalm 79 verse nine. The psalmist asks God to deliver him from sin for his name's sake, Psalm 109 verse 21. The psalmist says help us for your name's sake, Psalm 143 verse 11, God preserve us for your name's sake. So the psalmist says in Psalm 100 verse three, we are his people, we're the sheep of his pasture. In other words, we belong to the Lord. And so what we do, how we live, is a reflection on his name. Now, here's what I, I think all of us today realize. I think we all know this. Do you know that God is very protective over his name? We know that, right? He has told us, don't take my name in vain. Don't, don't, don't just use my name and attach it to anything you want to attach it to because it's, it's my name. We read in in 1 Samuel 12, verse 22, the the name of God is great, and he will protect his name. In fact, there is a, a passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, where God speaks a really harsh word to Israel. In Ezekiel 36, verses 19, 20, and 21, he says to Israel, you have dishonored my name way you're living he says you've dishonored my name and he says i have great concern for my holy name so just a reminder to me and you as followers as sheep in in his pasture his name is attached to us and it's important to him you know i can understand that you know sometimes parents will say that to their children won't they they'll say remember who you are before they go somewhere the point is You're not just representing yourself, you're representing us. There's something about us that's connected to you. Well, God is that way. You know, that's why I love the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews 11, verse 16, he says, after giving us this roll call of people of faith and a word of encouragement about how they lived, he then says this in verse 16 of Hebrews 11, and God was not ashamed to be called their God. Well, think about that. Don't you wanna live your life in such a way that God will not be ashamed to claim you? Don't you want to live that way? You don't want to be one of those that God's ashamed of, right? We do know his name is attached to us. And so the psalmist here even says he's leading us, he's guiding us for his name's sake. And so just remember as you're living your life that God's name is connected to me and you. Now with that said, let's look at two key insights in this psalm. Nothing earth shattering. We're just reflecting on what we already, already know. But let me just state the obvious. And that is this. When I look at this text, when it says verse four, I mean verse three rather, he guides me along the right paths. Another way of saying that is this. God's will is always best. But you already know that, right? God's will is always best. So why do we struggle with it? Why is it hard for us? Why is it hard to do God's will? What is it about it? Well, would you not agree with me that there's something inside of me and you that just wants to do our own thing? We just just want to do our own thing. I talked about this last Sunday, that core temptation to just be our own shepherd. What's wrong with just going your own way? I mean, seriously, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with just living your life the way you want to live it? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with just doing everything according to your will? What is the big deal with that? Why is that such a big deal? What's wrong with me, Dennis Wiles, just getting up every morning and doing what I want to do, do it in my way, my own time, and follow my own will? After all, I am the resident expert of my own will. I know what I want to do. I know what I like to do. Don't you? What's wrong with it? Well, Do you know the results can be disastrous, right? You know what the Bible says about us? Isaiah 53, verse six, we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to our own way. You know the book of Judges. What does the book of Judges say? There's a statement that you find over and over in the book of Judges. Israel did what was right, what? In their own eyes. And that was never a compliment, (laughs) It was never written at a time when they were being successful, when they were living fully into God's will. It's when they were being in, living in rebellion, when they were choosing their own path, their own way. And so the temptation, of course, is to live according to our own will. Now, this text, this psalm that David has written for us, it, it has some beautiful imagery in it that I think helps us in our daily living. So, for example, you know, the, 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 the shepherd knows that to take care of sheep it requires some skill and some dexterity. I've been rereading Philip Keller's little book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. He was a shepherd in East Africa. And one of the things he says is, is that a good shepherd would keep his sheep on the move. He said, because sheep are notorious for just destroying everything in their wake if you just leave them to their own devices. They won't just eat grass in a pasture, they'll nibble it down to the root and paw it up out of the ground and then it becomes no good for anyone. He said, if you're not careful and you don't keep sheep moving, that's what'll happen. They'll, they'll engage in destructive behaviors. Well, think about that. This picture to me, this imagery of being on the move is a beautiful picture for us in the scripture. You know, the Bible, Uh, depicts the, the the Christian life or the life that we have with God in numerous ways there are images that are used the Bible uses similes and and metaphors to help us better understand what it means to follow the Lord so for example the Christian life sometimes is referred to as a race and and we're supposed to run that race with with endurance sometimes the Christian life is portrayed as a fight it's a struggle and we're supposed to fight to the finish but my favorite motif in the scripture for the Christian life is a journey. That is what you and I are experiencing today. We, we're on a journey. Now, some of you have been with me before and we've talked about that journey. As a matter of fact, on Wednesdays right now, I'm, I've just started back our pastor's Bible study and we're studying, studying together the journey, the Christian journey. But y'all know the way I've described that is I believe the Christian journey is not just a journey, what I like to call it is the sacramental journey. And the reason that I've chosen that word is because the word sacramental is a a specific word. It's a word that's been transliterated from um, uh, Latin into English. In other words, we didn't translate it, we just transliterated it. But it's a very interesting word historically and theologically. You can hear in that word sacrament, the Latin root sacra or sacra, which means holy. So the Christian life is a holy journey. It is, it is a godly journey. But the word sacramental, the word sacramentum in Latin, it's, it's an interesting word historically. When the Bible was translated from Greek, the New Testament from Greek into Latin, the word sacramentum was the word chosen to translate the Greek word musterion. The Greek word musterion, we translate literate it into English as mystery. But when you and I think of mystery, We think of a problem to be resolved and we gather our clues and we get everything together and we're able to say, you know, Colonel Mustard uh, did it, you know, with the candlestick in the library. You know, we've solved the mystery. That's what we think of. That's not what the word in the New Testament means. The Greek word musterion, you find it many times in the New Testament. What it means is something that's been hidden that only God can make known. That's what that word means. Something that's been hidden... Only God can reveal it. That's the word mystery in Greek. Well, guess what? That's the word sacramentum. That's the word sacramental. So think about the journey you're on. The journey you're on is a holy journey, but it's a journey that requires God's revelation of himself in order for you to fully experience the journey to its most beneficial uh, impact in your life. You've gotta have God revealing himself along the way and revealing truth to you along the way if you really wanna experience life to the fullest. So what is the Christian life? Well, it's a journey. The psalmist describes it that way. Sheep that are being moved by a caring and loving shepherd. And so here's what what God does. He guides us. He directs us. Now, how does he do that? How does God guide you on the everyday? Well, here's what I would say. There are several ways that God has in his hands and at his disposal as a shepherd to guide me and you. He uses his word. Obviously, one of the reasons that we attend to the scripture is because the Bible is God's word. And God speaks to us powerfully through the scripture. God speaks to us through prayer as we offer up ourselves to him. God speaks to us through his spirit. The spirit of God prompts us, challenges us, leads us, guides us, empowers us. We have the example of Jesus. When you're wondering, how how should I respond to this situation? I would encourage you, look at what Jesus did. The, the, The Lord also just uses that deep relationship between him and us because that's what he's after. He wants you to be on a journey with him, not just on a journey with life. He wants you to be on a journey with him as he reveals himself to you. God speaks through the church. The people of God are used by God to speak into our lives. God speaks through circumstances. And so what's happening is God is trying to guide you. Now, why is he doing that? What is it that he's after? Well, he's doing that for his name's sake. the text says. He puts you on the right path because his will is best, and he's wanting to guide you in a certain way Because his name is at stake. Now with that said, let me just remind you of the kind of shepherd we have. As he's guiding me and guiding you, here's the good news. God's care is unquestioned. I want you to know right now, whatever you're going through, and I don't know what you're going through. Those of you in this room, those of you who are joining us online, I don't know what challenges you're facing. Maybe COVID has has really introduced some incredible challenges to you. Maybe it's affected your job or, um, or your family or your health. Um, the, the, the way the, the economy has turned in response to COVID has had a, a negative impact on some people. Uh, it may be um, all kinds of challenges, physical issues. It could be challenges that you have at work or in your relationships. I don't know what it is you may be going through. And you may, want, you may be wondering, Okay, so yeah, God wants to guide me on the right path. I just need to know God cares. (laughs) Well, I want to promise you this morning, God cares. And David writes about it so uh, tenderly. Look at what he says. He says, here's what God does. He he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to, to still quiet waters. Here's the point. God knows what he's doing, so you can trust him. He knows exactly what's happening in your life right now, and he cares very deeply about your well-being. I promise you, you've not been left to your own devices. God is there, and just like a shepherd guides his sheep into green pastures, just like a shepherd guides his sheep to places where they don't muddy up the water and, and pollute the water with their behavior, but they go to places where the water is still and clean and pure, and they can be refreshed by it. That's what God does for you. You know, Philip Keller, I mentioned him a moment ago, he said that in his life as a shepherd, He said, here's what I noticed. Sheep rarely lie down. He said, you just don't don't see sheep lying down all the time. And he says, there's four reasons why sheep won't lie down. Fear, flies, lack of food, and friction in the flock. He says, when any of those are present, sheep refuse to lie down. So sometimes they're afraid. Well, you know, sometimes it's hard for you to find rest when you're fearful. So maybe right now that's where you are. What, what is it that is driving that fear in your life? What, what are you fearful of? What, what is it that is, that's creating those anxious moments for you that perhaps build? And sometimes in the quietness of your life, that's when the crescendo occurs and you, you're, just, you're just gripped by a sense of fear. What is it that's driving that fear? Or what about flies? Well, I don't know if flies bother you or not, but it's, it's a, really a reference to parasites just irritants, you know? That, that's really what the uh, uh, Philip Keller says, that flies and parasites, they just irritate sheep. Well, you know, all kinds of things just irritate us, right? Could y'all just make a list right now what irritates you, you know? Maybe even a, two or three people you might put on the list that just irritate you. You know, you just, you just have stuff that just, it just gets under your skin. It's, just, it's, it's like flies just flying around the nose of a, of a sheep. It, just, it can just be petty, but it can be, it could just cause you to be irritable. Well, what about a lack of food? You know, Philip Keller says you can, you can never get sheep to lie down when they're hungry. It just won't happen because they're constantly looking for something to eat. What well, when you think your needs aren't being met? It makes it hard. It makes it hard for you to, to have a sense of contentment. But then the one I found most interesting was Philip Keller said, he said, sheep have a pecking order. And he said, now, they don't call it that, that's not what shepherds call it, they call it a budding order because they, they butt heads. They, they will ram into one another. Here's what's interesting. He said, it's always the female sheep that do it. Now, I'm not making any applications. I'm just telling you what happens with sheep, okay? Um, but he says that you'll have these dominant ewes, and they will just muscle up and make themselves known in the flock. And he said it causes friction. And he said, when that happens, sheep start getting pushed to the periphery. And they just just can't relax. They can't find any kind of peace. What's fascinating to me about that is, you know, that God actually uses that very image talking about his own people. It's interesting to me. Let let me read you. It's kind of a lengthy passage, but let me read it to you. It's Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, God tells Israel, I'm going to be your shepherd. But I want you to listen to how he describes his sheep. In Ezekiel 34, verse 11, it says this, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I'll rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I'll bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and the ravines and all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. And then God says this, and there they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I'll bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I'll destroy. I'll shepherd the flock with justice. He says, as for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clean, clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you've trampled and drink what you've muddied with your feet? And then he says this, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder Butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered, he says, I'll judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he'll tend them, he'll tend them with their, and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Did you hear that imagery? God says, my people have a tendency to shove one another around, get their position, push somebody out of the way and he says, I'm I'm not gonna put up with that, I'm the shepherd. I'm gonna intervene and I'm gonna be present with those sheep so that I can reduce the friction. I'm gonna provide food for them so they can lie down and be content. In other words, the very thing that David talks about in the 23rd Psalm, God says about himself that he's gonna be a God of provision and meet the needs of his flock. So this morning, not anything earth shattering per se, But I would say this, God's provision and care is always there for you. Now, here's what I've learned. The right path is not always the easy path. And I'm not sure why that is. But sometimes when God's guiding us down the right path, sometimes that path is a challenging one. It is fraught with all kinds of difficulties. But even in the midst of that, I've learned that he cares and he's paying attention. So right now, wherever you are, God is there to guide you, to lead you, and he wants to help you and demonstrate his love for you. He wants to alleviate your fears. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to get you out of the muddy, parasite-infested streams of self-reliance to the still waters of clean and pure provision because his will, his plan, his provision is always best. Now, here's the the cool thing about it, y'all. God wants to be your personal guide. And you know, there's nothing like having a personal guide. Having someone there to show you the way. You know, here in the, in the next couple of weeks, Kurt and I are going to be leading another uh, team of church members to Rome. And when we go to Rome, it's actually there, we, we do this for people's spiritual formation. It's not just a, it's not just a tour of Rome. Many people will give you a tour of Rome. And, and Rome is a great place to tour. But if you have the right guide with you, you'll learn some things. Because we're there to demonstrate for you, this is not just in Rome, the history of Western civilization, it is that. It's not just the celebration of human achievement, it is that. It's not just an acknowledgement of the accomplishments of that incredible empire, it is that. But what's happening on that journey is we're trying to help shape you spiritually to where you start seeing things differently and help that to translate into your life here. So when you're with me, I'm going to point things out to you that you may not know, you may not even notice, you may not think about it. So for example, um, when you're on Palatine Hill, it's this incredible hill overlooking the city of Rome, both sides, beautiful hill. It's where the emperors lived. And when you go to Palatine Hill, you'll see these magnificent ruins of these huge homes in which the Caesars lived. Domitian's castle and palace, beautiful. You can tell just by the ruins of it. But when you make your way across that hill, you come to the original um, home for a Roman emperor. I always take our our folks to Caesar's palace. Now some of y'all have been to Caesar's palace. I'm talking about the original Caesar's palace. It's where Caesar Augustus lived. It's where he built his home for he and his wife and family. And the reason we go there is because Caesar Augustus was perhaps the greatest emperor besides Constantine in the history of the Roman Empire. But the reason we go there, y'all, is to help guide our people's thinking and their perspective because you know what happened? Right there on the portico on Palatine Hill, Caesar Augustus decided that he wanted all of the empire to be counted because he wanted to ensure that proper taxes were being paid to Rome. So think about that. We stand right there at the portico of Caesar's home and when Caesar Augustus issued that decree, in his mind, he was the most powerful man on planet Earth and he was standing on center stage, true? But here's what he didn't realize. He was actually just a bit player in a drama so much larger than he would ever understand because center stage at that moment in history was actually in the far reaches of the empire in a little town called Nazareth. Because when this powerful emperor issued that decree, guess what happened? Wheels were set into motion that had prophecy built around them. And there was a young man in Nazareth who took his wife, his his espoused wife, Mary, and loaded her up, and they made their way to Bethlehem so he could register for this census ordered by this Roman emperor. Are y'all still with me? In order that... Prophecy would be fulfilled because the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And guess what Caesar Augustus does? He exits center stage and Jesus walks in and claims it for himself forever. See, when you have a guide, here's what happens. Your experiences are enriched. Not only do you get to have the experience, you get the enrichment of the experience because the guide offers you something. Can you imagine life lived with this shepherd we have? (laughs) He wants to guide you and as he guides you, guess what? He wants to lead you through experiences and then he will enrich those experiences. So not only do you find your way, there are times when he helps you understand why you have found your way and your life gets connected to a story and a drama that's so much grander and bigger than anything you would ever dream up on your own and that's what the shepherd does. He enriches it all for us. For us, Sure, he leads us on the right paths but I want you to know he gives you some green pastures. He gives you some real good clear water and he stands there and interprets it all for you so that you can live for his name's sake wow what a shepherd y'all what a shepherd praise God we can say the Lord is my shepherd let's pray together father we, we are grateful for that truth that you are our shepherd and that we can follow you and know that you will lead us and guide us and enrich our lives in ways that we could never imagine and never draw up on our own. We can become a part of something that's grander, and greater, more majestic than anything we would ever devise in our own imagination. So we wanna thank you for that. And we thank you for taking a personal interest in us. And that you, for your name's sake, are leading us and guiding us in this journey. We thank you for it. And Father, we, we pray that for those right now who need a shepherd, that today, this season, would be the, the time where they embrace you as shepherd. And Lord, and may you reveal yourself to them as shepherd, as only you can. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.